0: Thank you for coming to church this morning. Thank you for fighting all of this torrential rain. It was virtually no attic. As I was driving down the hill this morning, I I was praying, Lord, you promised. Never again to destroy the earth by water. (laughs) Remember your promise, oh God. (laughs) Uh, It was, you know... In mornings like this, when the rain is coming down, you just want to sit in front of the fireplace with a hot cup of coffee and a nice blanket, you know. My baby was hacking and coughing all night, and, and um, so my wife stayed home with her, and uh, and uh, she and my wife were, were, were laying there in bed, and, and Aletheia uh, was saying, Daddy, stay with us. <laughs> I said, Baby, Daddy can't stay right now. But, uh, you know, when your, little, when your little baby says, stay with me, it just melts your heart, doesn't it? Yeah. She said it to me Thursday morning. I got up to leave to come to church. And she said, Daddy, stay home with me. Mm-hmm. I, was, I want to, baby. but <laughs> I got a job, though. <laughs> I, I got I to gotta bring home the bacon. <laughs> uh, but it's a wonderful day to be alive. And it's a wonderful day to be a servant of the Lord. It's a wonderful day to be a child of God. And it's a wonderful day to be your brother in the gospel. And in our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He uh, destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He saved us from our sins by his blood. He made us a kingdom of priests to his God and king. And he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Do, Do you... Does that not blow you away? He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Man, that just, ooh, I, I just don't get that. I just don't get that. Because there's some folks that I might say, don't call me your brother. <laughs> but Jesus says he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Man, that just, that just blows me away. You know, as we're coming to the end of the year, it's so easy for us to look back on the year and realize how many of our goals and objectives and New Year's resolutions from last year fell, fell, uh, fell to the ground. As we come to the end of the year, it's easy for us to kind of adopt somewhat of a posture of failure and begin to reflect and, and feel bad about the days gone by and say, if only I would have done this differently or if only I would have done this differently. And it's, it's, it's so easy to <clears throat> look forward to the new year with fear. And to say, well, you know, if I failed this year, then who's to say I'm going to do any better next year? There are things that I've been saying every year I'm going to do. And I just haven't seemed to be able to do it. as we come to the end of the year, it's real easy to feel shame about the past year and to feel fear about the coming year. And the way we typically handle that shame and fear is, thank God, we've got a holiday season at the end of the year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which gives us an opportunity to eat our sorrows away. We bury all of that shame and fear under sweet potato pie and turkey and stuffing and dressing. See, I think, I think the fact that the average American gains seven pounds between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which means that as a nation, we gain a combined 2.1 billion pounds. It's amazing the whole country doesn't crumble. They say, well, the sea is rising. No, 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 no. The earth is... <laughs> And I don't think it's just because of the holiday. I think what happens is that shame and fear begin to work on us at the end of every year, and we trade it for a renewed optimism on New Year's Eve night that lasts for at least two weeks into the next year. And what what I'm beginning to see is that at the end of the year, as we come to the end of the year, shame and fear begin to pull us out of the present. Shame begins to take us into the past and fear begins to pull us into the present and pull us into the future. In shame, we regret the year gone by and in fear we dread the year to come so that we are reliving the past and pre-living the future. And the only thing we're not doing is living in the now, in the present. Now, when we talk about the presence of God and the, the central truth of the Christian faith is that God is present. God is with us. God is here. And most of us struggle to understand the presence of God. Most of us struggle to experience the presence of God. We all want to know the presence of God in a deeper way. You ever feel the presence of God? You encounter the presence of God We long for that, and and one of the things that I've prayed as a pastor for the last nine years since we started this church is, God, how do we usher people into your presence? You know our mission statement, to provide the most powerful encounter with God imaginable. Through word worship and fellowship to people from all walks of life. When you come into this place, we want you to encounter the presence of God. But what I'm discovering is that presence is a temporal indicator Follow me. You can only encounter the presence of anything in the present. You will not experience the presence of anyone if you're living in the past. And no one will experience your presence. You ever been you ever been hanging out with somebody who just wasn't there? You're like, "Where are you?" You, wherever you are, you're not with me here right now. I don't have your attention. Where are you? What? Where is your mind? Your mind is either in the past or it's in the future, but it's not in the present. And so I'm not experiencing your presence. Because even though you're sitting or standing in the room right in front of me, I can see your physical body. But you're not present in the physical realm. And you're not in the spirit either. God is spirit, but when we say that God is spirit, we don't mean that he is not present in space and time, as so many would say. I've heard people say all the time, and it's very prominent in in Christian theology to say that God does not operate in the realms of space and time. He operates in eternity. And may I just say to you that that is the intrusion of Greek philosophy into Christian theology. In the Bible, God is very present in space and time. He's not in some eternal realm somewhere on a cloud somewhere. He is right here, right now. That's why when Moses said, What's your name? he said, I am. You are what? I am. I'm here right now. I'm with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans, but I'll come to you. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he'll be loved by my father. And I also will love him. And we'll come and make our home with him. Jesus wants to make a home with you. It's about being present. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. I'm going to sit at the table with you and look in the eye. But you've got to know that when Jesus comes and sits at the table with you, his mind is not somewhere else. He's not back in the past or forward in the future. He's right here with you right now. He says, never will I leave you. And he's not just talking about physicality because he's not with us physically. He's saying, never will I leave you, meaning when my presence is with you, it means that my mind is on you continually. Jesus is saying, you will have my undivided attention all the way into eternity. There will never be a moment when you will look at me and say, God, what happened? Where'd you go? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just remembering the prophets. (laughs) Man, what they did to my servants was just messed up. I can't believe they did that. God, 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 hello, hello, are you hearing my prayer? Are you hearing my worship? Are you receiving my petition? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just worrying about the end of the age. I sure hope it works out. Sure hope I can get things to work. I'm, I'm wondering if I'll find faith in the earth when I come. I was thinking about uh, making that, sounding that trumpet a little early. I don't know. I, I got to go. I need to have a meeting with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We got to we got to come up with a better plan for the end of the age. I'm just so worried about what's happening in the earth right now. So I guess you don't have time for a little old me. When he said, I've inscribed you on the back of my hand. Can a mother forget the baby nursing at her breast? Do you hear what he's saying? Can a mother forget the baby nursing at her breast? At, at the moment a mother is nursing her baby, that is the most intimate moment between a mother and a child. That is the most intimate bond between, two, between a mother and a child. When that baby is drawing nourishment from the body of, of its mother, that mother is connected to the baby and that baby is connected to the mother. And there, that's a moment of intimacy. And God says, can that even if that mother can forget the baby nursing at her breast, I can't forget you. I've inscribed you upon the palm of my hand. I can't look at my hand without thinking of you. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I have for you. He says, I'm thinking about you, meaning I'm present with you. You are on my mind. What we are learning is that we can actually be present with people even when we're physically absent. I'm learning that if I just shoot my wife a text message in the middle of the day and say, so I was just thinking about you. I love you. Even though I'm not physically in the room with her, she feels I'm present with her. Why? Because she's on my mind. Meaning in my present right now, I'm with her. I'm with her right now. I'm with her. If, if, even if I don't send her a text message, but as I'm on the way home, I stop by the Vietnamese restaurant and pick up some pho. And bring it in and set it before her. She, her eyes light up. She's so, you know what she's, she's thinking? You were thinking of me even when we were apart. I was on your mind. I was in your present. Even when I was not physically in your present. Learning to be in the presence of God starts with learning to be in the present. And the great problem in our culture is that we don't know how to be in the present. We are constantly looking for things to take us out of the present. Things to cause us to forget the present. Things to cover up what we're feeling in the present. Things that will prevent us from having to deal with the present. We're constantly trying to escape the present. We want to go back into the past We either want to go back into the past and relive the glory days. Oh, I remember when I was a high school student and I was 135 pounds. I could eat all I wanted and wouldn't gain a pound. Part of it because I played basketball six hours a day. And I remember I, I was captain of the basketball team my senior year of high school. I remember the day of the great game. I scored 31 points that game. Had 13 assists and 11 rebounds. I had a triple-double. I remember the cheerleaders were chanting my name. And I, oh, I'm sorry, are you guys still here? I forgot, I forgot about you. I was so busy wishing that I was still back here at this thing that happened to me 20-something years ago that I forgot that you're with me right now. I can't be present with you or God if I don't know how to be present. And I can't encounter your presence. You want to talk about fellowship, the fellowship of the burning heart? The fellowship of the burning heart. Two hearts cannot burn together unless those hearts first are present with one another. God says, I'm with you. I am with you. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. He says to Joshua, as I was with my servant, Moses, so will I be with you. I will. He is constantly assuring us. I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus says to his disciples, look at these sparrows. He says, one of them can't fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Don't you think that you're worth more to him than sparrows? Oh, you of little faith. He says he is aware of everything that happens in your life. He is very present. And so often we ask questions like, God, where were you? Where were you when this happened to me? Where were you? And his only answer is, I am. I am. I was with you. I never leave you. I never forsake you. I never turn my back on you. He wants us to know that he is securely attached to us. He says, anyone who touches you touches the apple of my eye. So learning to live in the present necessitates that we learn to live without shame and without fear. We learn to live without shame and without fear. Now, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve in the garden, it says they were naked. The man and his wife were naked but they felt no shame. They were naked, but completely unashamed. Meaning that even though they were completely exposed to one another, they remained present with one another. Naked, but unashamed. This was God's intention for our experience as human beings. That we would learn how to be naked. We didn't have to learn it. it that he, that's how he. That was hardwired into human nature. Naked, but unashamed. Completely transparent before one another, but unashamed. Why unashamed? Because there's no fear of judgment. And in the body of Christ, in the church, we must create a culture in which exposure does not bring about a fear of shame. If we can create a culture in the church in which we can be naked together but unashamed, and I'm not talking about physically naked. We're not talking about, you know, the nudist church. I saw a website on... uh, Did you see that website? Hey. No, no, no. Not like that. One of my buddies put a link on my Facebook wall and said, uh, you got to check this church out. I think they're looking for a new pastor, and I think you're the man. And I clicked on it, and it said, the nudist church. And it was a, just a, a, a head-to-waist shot of the pastor with no shirt on, you know. And he's standing there. He says, come come one and come all, you know. We are completely unashamed before God. And it said, but please wait till you get into the lobby to start taking your clothes off because, you know, we can't. And it it, it was a joke. It was a prank. There's no no such church. (laughs) There's no such church. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. But that's not what I want to talk to you about today. (laughs) Am I doing this okay, Isaiah? They didn't run from each other. They didn't hide from each other. They didn't disappear from the church for three months because they were going through a struggle. Amen. All right. Amen. They didn't disconnect themselves completely from, from, from every point of involvement in the church because something bad happened in their family that they didn't want anybody to know. Amen. They didn't shrink back because they were under discipline. They said, I'm going to remain present with you. But after sin entered in, the first result of sin was shame. They looked at each other and realized they were naked. And the first thing they did was hid from each other. And that is the result of the fall. We think it's just natural. Well, I don't want anybody knowing my business. That's the fall. That's what Jesus came to, re- to, to redeem us from. He came to redeem us from our need to hide and they sowed fig leaves and covered each other. They covered themselves so that they didn't have to see one another. As soon as one of us is struggling, we say, cover that up. I don't even want to see that. I don't want to deal with that. And we cover ourselves. You as see, as I could be going through the worst struggle of my life. Say, how are you doing, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. We start throwing out all of the Christianese. Ooh, I'm so good. I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I am so thankful to be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost tongue talking. Mm. This morning, I was in my prayer closet. God was speaking to me. He gave me the Greek, and the Greek term for that was, come on, just tell me how you're really doing. I said, bro, I need you to lay some hands on me right now. I need, I need some help right now. Let me tell you how I'm doing. You got a minute? You got a minute? Can we sit and talk? Can you go get a couple other brothers to come pray for me too? How about calling? You know, we used to do this. We learned this when we were students at Fuller Seminary. We had a group of friends completely transparent with one another. And if one of us was struggling, we'd call everybody, say, everybody, come over to my house tonight at 7 p.m. I'm making dinner. And everybody would show up, and we'd get in the room, and one of us would say, the reason I ask you all to come here is because I need you guys to pray for me right now, and here's what's happening. Bam. And we would come around one another and pray for one another and lift one another. Do you know how encouraging that is? Yes. You know, that's the fellowship of the, of the burning heart. The fellowship of the burning heart does not mean that I'll only be connected to you when our hearts are burning. All right. It means that when my heart isn't burning, I'm going to reach for you to, kinda, to help me, to pull me back into that place where my heart is burning again. It means that I don't try to deal with my stuff on my own. Right. Come on. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 34. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises will continually be in my mouth. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble will hear of it and be glad. But in verse 4, he says this. He says, those who look to him are radiant. And their faces are never covered with shame. Those who look to him are radiant. And their faces are never covered in shame. God, his purpose for you is that your face would never be covered in shame. He wants to, he redeemed us from shame. Amen. God. He died to take away your shame, to take away your guilt. Everything and anything that you and I would ever feel ashamed of or guilty for has been nailed to the cross. It has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It was put to death. Parents, one of the most important things you can teach your children is how not to be ashamed, especially when they're undergoing discipline. To teach them to say, lift up your head and look me in the eye. I'm disciplining you because I love you, not because I'm ashamed of you. And we should never, ever, ever say to our children or anyone else, you should be ashamed of yourself. Don't ever say, no, you should not be ashamed of yourself. This is what you did, not who you are. Amen. You're only ashamed of yourself if it's who you are. But I'm going to teach you from a young age. I'm going to teach my daughter from a young, from her infancy, how to separate what she does from who she is until you're not going to do that anymore. You're not going to walk in these ways anymore, but you're going to lift up your head and say, this isn't who I am. And I'm being disciplined because I'm loved, not because I'm rejected. And that's why the Bible tells us that when the Lord disciplines us, we should rejoice because he's treating us as sons. Don't be discouraged or dismayed when you're disciplined by the Lord. No, you've forgotten the word of exhortation that addresses you as sons whom the Lord loves. He disciplines even as a father, a son in whom he delights. If the Lord didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. But when he disciplines us, it's because he loves us. And so we should come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace in time of need. We don't come before the throne with our heads bowed. So I'm not worthy. I'm not Who cares if you're worthy? It's not about your worthiness or my worthiness. It's about the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And so I come boldly saying, I'm not here because I'm worthy. I'm here because the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, he is worthy and he has covered me with his blood. And so I have boldness before the throne of God. I've come to receive grace in my time of need. First Peter, chapter 2, verse 6, Peter speaks about the stone. It says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be ashamed. The one who trusts in him. Shame is a sign that you have ceased to trust in the Lord. Shame is a sign that you have ceased to trust in the Lord and you have momentarily sought to become your own redeemer. And we think shame is justified because you don't know what I did. We think there are moments and situations in which shame is justified. Let me tell you something. Even if you messed up. Shame is not justified. Even if you did something terrible, shame is not justified. And let me tell you why. Because shame will keep you dwelling in the very thing that you're trying to escape. Shame means that you are meditating on what you did. You can only be ashamed when the meditation of your heart is what you did moment that we mess up the meditation of our hearts should not be what we did but the meditation of our hearts should be what Christ did Amen. and we think shame only affects us it affects everybody around you because you just disappeared from the lives of everyone who loves you right. just disappear we've seen some the effects of shame haven't we Right here in Emeryville, there was a superintendent at the school across the street. It was all in the news and in the paper. It was discovered that he had falsified his his resume. Had all kind of degrees in there that he never got, including a Ph.D. and an MDiv in theology from a theological seminary. Completely falsified. You know what happened? all of a sudden he disappears and the kids lose their superintendent. How many times have we heard of it where a man is caught cheating on his wife and when she finds out, he disappears. Leaves her to raise the kids. He disappeared. Why? Because he was ashamed of what he did. Just disappear. Disappear. I know I messed up, so I'm disappearing. Shame causes you to to, to, to play a disappearing act. You disappeared from the presence of people and you disappeared from the presence of God. Do you know what God would have us to do? He'd have us to mess up but remain present. Amen. That's right. That's All right, I messed up, but I'm here. I'm here. I did wrong, but I'm here. And that's here. called taking responsibility yes. for your actions. Amen. I'm going to face the music and say, this is what I did. This is what I did. And let me tell you something. we got to break this off of this body. You know, one of the things that we need more of is public confession. But oftentimes when I've talked to people and said, okay, you know what? You need to confess this to the leadership body. There have been times when i said to people, you need to confess this before the whole congregation. No, I can't do that, Pastor. I can't do that. Why not? No, no, that's just public embarrassment. You think you're the only one who did something? You think you're the only one who ever messed up? How are we ever going to build a culture of transparency in which we can be naked and unashamed right. if some folks aren't willing to be naked? All right. Do you know how many people would be encouraged by your confession? How many people would come out of the closet and say, it's me too. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. shame says I'm not going to I'm not going to remain present I know this happened what I'm going to do is disappear because I don't want anybody to see me right now so I'm going to disappear we have this thing where we want to suffer alone you ever seen a dog die you know what dogs do when it's time for them to die they go find a hiding place so they can die alone by themselves They don't want anybody to see them in their moment of suffering. You know, we're going through things. I, we, you see it all the time. No, tell my family not to come see me. Why? Because I don't want them to see me like this. I don't want you to see me like this. Listen, if I'm in the hospital and something happened to me and my life is falling apart, I want you to come see me like that. Amen. Why? Because it's not about my image. All right. It's not about how you see me. It's simply about the fact that I am a significant person in your life. And you got to know that you are a significant person in the life of others. Shame would tell you, well, who am I? I'm not significant. Let me tell you something. You are significant. And that's not pride. I say to myself all the time, Benjamin, you are an important person in the lives of many people, but you must remain present with them. Because if I don't think I'm significant in your life, I'm not going to remain present with you. I don't mind disappearing. I don't mind disappearing because I don't think I mean anything to you. What I don't realize is that if I disappear, something's missing from your life. I've robbed you of something. There are nutrients. There are relational and spiritual nutrients that you receive just by the fact that I'm present. You know, I notice that with my daughter all the time. My daughter, there's something about my presence. If I am just with her, I don't have to know the thing to say. I don't even have to understand what's happening with her. I just got to be there and let her climb on me. She gets something from climbing on me. I don't, I don't understand it, but may, you know, if I studied more psychology, maybe they can tell me the region of the brain that's affected, but she just has to climb on me, and she'll come and climb up my leg and climb over my shoulder and grab my head and then swing around and fall into my lap and climb up on the couch and jump down on my lap and climb up on my... And just, She is like a little monkey just climbing all over me. And if I lay down on the bed, she'll climb up on... Sometimes in the middle of the night, she'll climb... She comes into our room in the middle of the night, every night. She goes to sleep in her own bed. She starts every night in her bed and wakes up every morning in our bed. (laughs) Because in the middle of the night, she comes into our room, climbs up the couch. Our couch is right at the end of our bed. She climbs up the couch, jumps on the bed, and jumps down in between us. And, you know, first she'll, like, put her legs up on my head, you know, so her head could be on mommy's chest, you know. And by the end of it, she actually climbs up on my back and falls asleep on my back. And I don't even realize. I wake up in the morning. She is laying on my back. (laughs) My wife has taken pictures of her (laughs) laying on my back, sound asleep. Both of us are sound asleep. There's something about my presence. I don't even have to be awake. I don't have to be saying anything to her. She's just, listen, if we can learn to be with one another, The presence of another is a metaphor for the presence of God, meaning as she's learning how to be present with daddy and as she's learning that her daddy is present with her, she is also learning how to be present with God so that when God comes and says, I am with you, she knows what that means. Many of us can look back and say, well, I never had a daddy to climb on. When my daughter cries, my wife and I both run. And part of it is, you know, we tried to get pregnant for eight years. So when you tried to get pregnant for eight years and suddenly one baby comes, you tend to overly baby that baby a little bit. <laughs> you know, we've had to learn how to, you know, and we're still learning, you know, how not to make such a big deal out of stuff. If she goes, ow. We go, oh, my God, what happened? Are you okay? Let me see it. <laughs> we'll let daddy kiss it. You know what I You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? You might look back and say, my parents didn't care. I grew up with my mom. She was a single mom. I might have come home with a broken leg. She said, boy, that, that leg is okay. Just walk it off. I'm bow-legged to this day because they didn't take me to the doctor when my leg broke. Mom, I got a gunshot wound. I got shot. Boy, go put some cone on that. Put a little tussin in that. <laughs> My mother, said, my mother said her mother treated everything with blessed oil. Y'all don't know nothing about no blessed oil. You know what blessed oil is? It's olive oil that's been prayed over. <laughs> Dog bites, just pour some blessed oil in it, put a bandage on it, and send it back out. Whatever it was, it was treated with blessed. We didn't have no money for hospitals in the ghetto. You see, I didn't have a mommy or a daddy who was so concerned about me. They didn't... My mommy and daddy weren't present with me. So I don't know what it means that God is present with me. Well, let me tell you something. You know what fixes that is the body of Christ. Amen. The body of Christ. As we learn to be present with one another. I can't go back and be your mama or your daddy. But I can be your brother. Amen. I can be your brother or your sister. And I can be your spiritual father or your spiritual mother. I can be your spiritual uncle. I, in other words, we... As the body of Christ are responsible to create a spiritual family atmosphere in which every member of the body feels the presence of the body. So that you might say, I never knew what it meant that my mom or my dad was with me, but I know that David is with me. That there's somebody in this room, there's somebody in the body that I can say he is with me. I feel that you're with me when I'm going through a struggle. And because I know what it means to know that you're with me, I know what it means to know that that God is with me. You are a metaphor for the presence of God. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. But if we're absent from one another, we don't realize that we are teaching a theology lesson. We are telling the people around us, this is how God is. He's never there when you need him. And he's never present with you. He's not concerned. I was thinking about that passage there in Mark chapter 5. When Jairus, the synagogue ruler. You know, I, I, I told you before that there's a very prominent teaching that says God is not present in space and time. And how I disagree with that. But even though he is present in space and time, he doesn't experience space and time the way we do. His experience of time is completely different than ours because he's Lord over time, whereas we tend to be governed by it. Nothing strikes fear in you and me more quickly than looking at the clock and realizing you're late for something. Oh, my God. It's already 8. Oh, Lord, I'm supposed to be at the office at 8.30. I'm in the shower. I got to get out of here. Why? Because the clock said so. God is never tyrannized by time. God does not experience the phenomenon that we call urgency. We are tyrannized by urgency. But God always seems to have all the time in the world. (laughs) You know why? Because he's Lord over it. He can stop it. Joshua, just stretch out your hand towards the sun and command it to be still. Be still. And God says, son, stop. He can extend the day and make it last as long as he wants it to last. With him, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So he's never rushing when there's an urgent situation. You and I were under this tyranny of the urgent. It's urgent. God, I need you right now. And God is just relax. I'm coming when I'm coming. I'm still taking a nap. But don't you know that this boat is sinking and the wind and the waves are blowing and Jesus is under the boat asleep on a cushion. The disciples are on the deck of the boat and it is urgent. Urgent. It is urgent. It is, We're going to die in like 18 seconds. And Jesus just laid out their sleep. I got all the time in the world. Here this man, Jairus, he's the ruler of the synagogue in Mark chapter 5. He comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter is terribly ill. She's dying. And Jesus says, I'll come and heal her. Let's go. Multitudes are following him. Disciples are coming. Can you imagine how frustrating it must be to be Jairus right now? Jesus is just waltzing toward your house. And you just told him that your daughter is dying. And then all of a sudden a woman with the issue of blood, she makes her way through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment and Jesus stops. Who touched me? And the disciples, Lord, everybody's touching you. Come on, hurry up. We got to get to this man's house. His daughter's dying. Didn't you hear the man? It's right. urgent. No, no. Shh. Who touched me? Everybody's touching you, Lord. Look at the multitude. Don't you see the multitude? No, 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 no. Somebody touched me in faith. Oh, right. I felt power come out of me. Who touched me? That's good. And the woman came forward trembling, and she felt. And Jesus is thinking, Can't you talk to her later? <laughs> Tell her, you know, wait right here. Once I go heal this man's daughter, I'm going to come back and talk to you. I got some things to say to you. But right now, I got an appointment. And she told the whole story. She took the time to tell the whole story. It says she told him all. It didn't happen in a second. She said, Lord, I have had this illness for 12 years. I suffered many things under many physicians, but nobody could heal me. And I, I, I've been, it's like I've been on my period for the last 12 years. But I said if I could touch the hem of your garment, I'd be made whole. So I pressed through the crowd. And now the whole multitude, oh, my Lord, she touched me when she was bleeding. I'm all every, I'm defiled. I'm, all, I'm defiled. Oh, Lord, you defile everybody's mad. You defiled me. She said, but wait, wait, wait. The moment I touched the hem of his garment, I was completely made whole. Yes. Jesus says, peace be unto you. Don't be afraid. Your faith has made you whole. And Jairus is thinking, great, great, she's healed. Let's go. <laughs> so Jesus turns and says, where were we? Jairus, shall we? <laughs> and all of a sudden, two men come and say, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's already dead. And Jairus is thinking, oh, great. <laughs> if it wasn't for that woman back there. But now God ran out of time. If that woman hadn't interrupted, where is that woman? I'm going to find her. You killed my daughter. And Jesus looks to Jairus and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. You know what he was saying? Jairus, your mind has already run ahead to your house and anticipated the response of your wife. Your mind has already ran ahead and seen your wife there at the house mourning and weeping. Your mind has already run ahead into the bedroom where your daughter is lying dead on the bed. Your mind has already run ahead to the funeral where you and your family are going to stand around a casket and weep and mourn. Your mind is running ahead in the future. That's what fear does. It takes you into the future where you begin to pre-live things that are not even yet a reality. He says, don't be afraid. What he's saying is, Jairus, come back here to the present. And bring your mind out of the past where you're regretting the fact that we stopped to minister to this woman. Get your mind out of the past where you're looking back at this woman and saying, why did you interrupt us on the way to save my daughter's life? Get your mind out of the past and come back here, Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And when he says, just believe, he's saying, Jairus, stop looking to situations and to things and just look at me. Look into my eyes, Jairus. I'm right here. I am with you. Faith brings you into the present where God is. When he says, I am present, I am with you. It means I'm right here, right now. Not not future, not past. He is not a God of the past, and he is not a God of the future. He's a God of the now. That's why his name is I am. And when it says he's the God who was and is and is to come, it means that he was present in the then, he's present in the now, and he will be present in the future. But he is always now. He is with you at whatever point you are at. Now, don't be afraid. Just believe. Walk with me, Jairus. And no, I'm not going to walk at your pace. No, I'm not going to get you to your destination in the time that you want me to. Walk with me, Jairus. I'm here now. I'm here now. And when he came into Jairus' house... There were mourners and flute players and people were wailing and mourning. And he says, Jesus says this. Now watch this. What's all this commotion? She's not dead, but sleeping. And everybody laughs at him. And the next thing he did is he put them all out. He saw that what was present was unbelief. And so he put it out. And he allowed Peter, James, John, and Jairus to stay. In other words, the ones who were willing to allow him to pull them into the present. You can stay. You want to see a miracle? Learn to live in the present with Jesus. Learn to walk with him. Stop fearing. Learn to say, as David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. When? Right now. I will fear no evil. It doesn't matter what's coming. You are with me right now. I can look into the eyes of Jesus and know He's with me right now. I will fear no evil. And there's nothing more powerful than to look into the eyes of a man or a woman who knows how to walk with Jesus in the right now. How to look into the eyes of a man or a woman who is walking with Jesus without fear and without shame. You know what it does? It strengthens you. There are some people that are walking with Jesus so firmly established in their walk with him that they don't feel shame and they don't feel fear. When you look into their eyes, you're strengthened. Just by looking into their eyes, you feel fear melting off of you. You feel shame and anxiety melting off. I can't be afraid. Why? Because I'm looking into the eyes of someone who walks with Jesus. And no, I'm not chasing after him. There's so much talk about chasing after God. I'll forever be chasing after you. I'm chasing after you. No matter what I want. No, I'm not chasing after him. He's not running from me. You can only chase someone who runs from you. He's running to me, not from me. I am not a God chaser. I'm a Christ follower. And Jesus comes into the present with this girl. She's dead. She's gone. She's not there. But Jesus speaks to her as if she were still there. Little girl, Talitha. Kum arise. Talitha, Kum. You know what resurrection is? The power of the resurrection is the power to speak into the life of someone who is not present and bring them back to the present. And Some of you here today, you're like that little girl lying in that bed. You're not even here. Some of you had trouble even hearing the words of my mouth because your fear took you into the future to something that's coming or your shame took you into the past to something that happened. And you had trouble even staying present for some of you, it was sorrow, like the disciples when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he found them sleeping. And Luke tells us that they were, they were exhausted by sorrow. And he says, can't you watch with me this one hour? Their eyes were heavy with sleep. They lost consciousness. They couldn't be present with Jesus because they were exhausted by sorrow. Some of you here today are exhausted by sorrow, and it's taken you out of the present. But the word of the Lord is here today to speak. Talitha. Kum. I know you don't know how to be here, but I know how to call you here. I know you don't know how to get rid of your fear or your shame, but I know how to call it out of you. I know how to look into your eyes and say, don't be afraid. I know how to look into your eyes and say, I've taken away your shame. I know how to strengthen you. I know you don't know what it's like to have a father who's with you always. Always. Never leaves you. Believes in everything you do. There to strengthen you and uphold you and won't let you fall. But I'm here to tell you that I am that father. I am that I am. You go tell the Israelites that I am. I am. I'm with you. Talitha. Kun. Arise. Arise. The word of the Lord to you today is. Arise. Arise. Come back right now. Right now. He's walking with you. He will not let you go. He will not abandon you. I am with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You're always on my mind. You're always in my heart. I have embroidered your names on my shoulders because I bear your burdens. And I've written you upon the table of my heart because you are on my heart always. Your walls are ever before me. I cannot forget you. I've inscribed you on the palm of my hand. If anyone touches you, they touch the apple of my eye. I am the Lord. And I am with you. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And don't be ashamed. Because instead of shame, my people will receive a double portion. And inherit blessing in the land. Let's pray. spirit of the living God I thank you for the word that you have spoken to us today and I thank you that it is not the word of man but it is the word of the living God Holy Father I pray that by the power of your spirit you would sovereignly open up the doors of our hearts That you would implant this word in such a deep place. That you'd cause us to live it. That you'd cause us to walk it. That you'd cause us to believe it with the depth of our being. That at each and every moment, our ears would be open to hear you say, I am with you with you. I am with you. Lord, you're always with us. The problem is we're not always with you. Even in the natural, it's difficult for us to be present with one who's not present with us. But Lord, you endure that. You're present with us at every moment giving us your undivided attention. But most of the time, we ignore your presence. We acknowledge your presence this morning. We hear you say, I am with you. We want to walk with you, Lord. We're going to walk with you. You have made known to me the path of life. And by God, I'm going to walk in it. Father, teach us to be present with one another as you are present with us. That we would know your presence as the source of our peace. As you say, peace be unto you. That we would receive that word of peace and that you'd put it in our mouths so that our presence would also bring peace. And we would say, peace be unto you. Strengthen and encourage each one. Just let that word settle into your heart right now. Let it settle into the deep place of your being. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. We love you this morning. We receive your word. Giving you all of the glory. Giving you all of the glory. Yes, I'm giving you all of the glory. Mm -hmm. We're giving you all of the glory. You are with us. bless you we adore your holy name we embrace your presence and we'll walk with you from this day and forevermore we thank you in the name of jesus christ your son we pray amen